Is that it? It's coming up. The new slider for the men's thing. New event code. There we go. There we go. Friends, this, this thing of pornography, as you will know, the temptation is unbelievably great because the accessibility is so unbelievably profoundly great since the advent of the web and internet and fast internet access. And um, it is super, super detrimental. Super detrimental. I'm actually having a, a meeting next week on Wednesday with somebody from Project Exodus. And this lady has had, a, has had experience with her husband who was hectically addicted to pornography. And so she's developed a program of getting people free. And so I want to I sit down so that she can come and teach us. I'd love our eldership team to be equipped, and I'd love every leader in the church to be equipped to help people walk out of pornography. Because remember, it is an addiction, not a habit. Until you understand that pornography is an addiction, it's not just a habit. It changes the wiring and the chemistry of your brains. And um, the Bible says this in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And I spoke this morning a bit about shame. If you haven't listened to that, I'd, please listen to it, because it's, it's a kind of a precursor to tonight. And how shame is intricately woven in pornography and starting, in, in starting the addiction. In fact, all addiction is linked to shame. Because you try, you're trying to get a pick-me-up to get you out of your shame. The problem is, you're picking yourself up with the wrong thing. And what it does is it drops you even further into shame. And so it is a massive, massive circle, web of addiction that eventually grips our hearts. And if you sow to it, you will reap destruction. If you are married, you are you're twice as likely to get divorced if you are in a marriage and you are addicted to porn. It is destructive in every way. It's, it's destructive in the way you see women. It's destructive in the way you perceive yourself. It's, the destruct, it's destructive in, and it leads to death in many ways. I'm going to talk about that now. But I'm, 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 I'm saying these things to, to kind of punch you in the guts a bit. Because you've got to deal with this thing radically. And because it's an addiction, once you get hooked, it's very difficult to get out of it. In the same way as if you've got a cocaine addiction or a whatever kind, other kind of, you're alcoholic. It's very, very difficult to get out of it. And so what the, the best form of defense is, don't get into it in the first place. And it is so difficult. I know it is. Matt used to go up on the bus up to Uffies. At Glenwood used to play Uffies on the bus all the way there. And guess what? They all had their phones. And every single one of those boys used to watch porn all the way up. Grade 8 through to matric. And if you weren't, you were the odd one out. This is so powerful and so addictive and so profound in our, in our culture today. Pornhub, over lockdown, gave 30 free days 
to the premium package. Pornhub is one of the biggest, one of many, but one of the very big porn sites. It saw a 24% increase in take-up on their free package. 24%. That's a quarter. So this subscription group are quarter. And the U.S. has actually declared pornography addiction as a public health crisis in 16 states. So the world is starting to realize this thing is bad. This thing is not good for you. In 2019, Pornhub had... How many, how many visits do you think Pornhub had in 2019? Throw a number out. Give me a, throw a number, anybody, just give me a number. 10 million. I've got 10 million. What have I got? What have I got? What have I got? 100 million. 100 million. I've got 100 million. Is there anybody higher? Come on, come on, come on. 3 million. I don't know. We've got 100. 300 million. I've got you. 42 billion hits. 42 billion hits in one year. 115 million visits per day. 170 years of new content was created in the one year. 170 years of new content. So new films. 170 years of new films in time. So 170 times hours of a year times 170 were created in one year. Internet devices, high-speed internet has released a new normal and released a new drug on the market, and it's called pornography. I've got a little slide here. If you can put the one with the graph on, please, guys. This graph, uh, it's a little bit squashed and out of thing, but it's fine. It works. That shows you the dopamine, the dopamine release in your brain of different things. So obviously you've got amphetamines, which is meth. You've got cocaine. And then you've got porn. You see where porn is, the dark line? Not much lower, eh? That's why it's so addictive. You see sex, real sex. Uh, you see where it says there's sex on the left-hand on, on left side there? There's a kind of a, a peak, and then it kind of trails off. That's normal sexual relations does that. You get a dopamine release. If you're depressed, have lots of sex with your wife. With your wife. So sex provides the highest natural form of dopamine hit that you can have. And then there's other man-made substances that do that. But what dopamine does is it ensures that your brain remembers and then later craves. Which in marriage is what it's meant to happen. And prawn binges can produce up to 10 times more dopamine in the brain than relational sex. So friends, what's happening is that people are, we're producing a sexless generation that prefer to be on porn than have sex with a real person. The stats are rocketing through. Going up. I'll give you some of them now. The problem is this. Is it doesn't satisfy. Only sex with your wife 
satisfies and fulfills. Porn has the promise of it, but it never does. It never delivers what it's prom- on its promises. Sex with your spouse is like a five-course meal, somebody said. It satisfies and nourishes your relationship. Porn does exactly the opposite. And what it does is it causes a slow death, a slow burn death. One for your heart for God. The stats are off the charts. You choose porn or you choose God. And when you choose porn, you don't choose God. And so your heart for God diminishes. And you know that because there's condemnation and there's shame involved. And so actually you don't want to be with God because there's condemnation and shame. Your marriage takes a massive hit. Your sexuality changes. The percentages of as you grow with the amount of porn that you watch, your chances of being open to a bisexual relationship grow exponentially. So you think, no, I'd never, I'd never, I'm a straight guy, until you've watched porn for a lot, and suddenly you're, not, you're thinking, well, maybe not. This is hugely detrimental, friends. Terry Crews, do you know who Terry Crews is? That uh, NFL player, he's on the, he does those adverts. You know that guy? I don't know if you've seen him, Terry Crews. I should have had a photo of him. He said this. Terry, you know Terry. Hey, Terry, what are you doing? Terry, where are you, Terry? And he breaks through the muscles and breaks through the, yeah, that's it. What's that? The old old spouse. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that guy. He said this. He said this. Pornography, it really, really messed up my life in a lot of ways. Pornography changes the way you think about people. People become objects. People become body parts. They become things to use rather than people to be loved. What about Russell Brand? you know who Russell Brand is? Actor, comedian, YouTuber. His life, he had a whole life of substance abuse and relational dysfunction including his two-year marriage to Katy Perry as well. They divorced now. I mean, why would you get divorced from Katy Perry? I mean, flat. Brand said this. I think my own past with pornography is the hub of my inner conflict and doubt. This is an unbeliever. I know pornography is wrong. There's a general feeling that it is. It isn't there. In the core, sorry, there's a general feeling, isn't there? In the core of, if you look... In your core, if you look at pornography, that is, this isn't the best thing for you. Is that you know, that in your core, you know that this is wrong. If I had total dominion over myself, I would never look at pornography again. I would kick it out of my life. It's affecting my ability to relate to women, to myself, to my sexuality, and to my own spirituality. Unbelievable. John Mayer, you know John Mayer, the musician? John Mayer, in, a, in an interview, prefers fantasy and masturbation than sex with a woman. These are the heroes that are out there. They messed up. Massive lives of porn. He says, and one of the things I read, he says, by the time I get out of bed, I could have seen 300 different women. That's how addicted he was. It causes sexlessness. 
as I said earlier. Over the last 10 years, the percentage of American men between the ages of 18 and 30, eh? 18 American men between the ages of 30, who reported not having sex in the pre uh, preceding year, moved from 10% to 28%. And they attributed to porn. What about porn-induced erectile dysfunction? When you're married and you've got this problem, it's very hard so. But there's a thing called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. In 15 to 30-year-olds, that's the age group, before internet porn, only 5% of men under 40 had erectile dysfunction. Only 5%? under 40. Today, 33% under 40 report some form of erectile dysfunction. Attributable to porn. This is not a minor matter, guys. And I've said to my boys, don't go there. Friends, hold your other friends to account on this. Don't go there. It'll catch you, and once it's caught you, wow. It's going to mess you up. Porn significantly reduces the likelihood that you'll be a person that serves God. 63% of men are addicted to porn. Two-thirds of us in this room. Addicted, eh? That's a very, very powerful so it's, you lose your heart for God, you lose your heart for your marriage, you lose your heart for your sexuality, and you lose your heart to serve God. They reckon the greatest reason people aren't serving in church is because of porn. Stats show. Everything just slow death, slowly, bit by bit. So what do we do about it? How do we get through this? I really do think all addiction is rooted in shame, as I spoke about this morning. Adam and Eve were naked and had no shame. They disobey God, they disregard God, and the next thing they're hiding and they've got shame. And God's got having to cover them. And so they leave the garden full of shame. Covered, covered okay, but full of shame. And God from there on out is pursuing them to make sure that they can not only come back to him and be forgiven of their sins, but actually are washed clean of their shame. So there is a way back. There is a way back. So what are the roots of pornography? can put up that other slide. Thanks. Route one is that we live in a sexualized society. What was, when I was at school, number one, I didn't have a phone. The only time that I was exposed to pornography was when I went into the army and Pan Pino, the sergeant, he had porn, 
And then we used to flip and get the soaked drunk so we could look at these magazines. That's it. I never, I, I didn't, I didn't, the closest boys got to, or men got to porn was their dad's stash. Now, now it's just, you live in a sexual, sexualized society that is just everywhere. From the adverts that we see to, and sex sells. It's just across the board, you live in this torrent of sexual temptation absolutely everywhere. And the lies that it tells you is that sex satisfaction and fulfillment are found outside of God's design. That if you pursue holiness, you're the one that's going to miss out. And that, by the way, sexual sin is not that big a deal. And I spoke the last two weeks about what a big deal it is. It's the one sin that you sin against your own body, your own brain, your own brain chemicals, your dopamine levels, all those sorts of things. I spoke about them. The truth of it, the lie is that you won't be satisfied and you're going to miss out. But the truth of it is, when you cut those things out, you flourish. So what do you do about that? What do we do when we live in a sexualized society? How do you do when it's all around you all the time? What do you do? How do you get, get through it? Man, friends, you've got, to, you've got to establish boundaries in your life that are non-negotiable. So that before you get there, you know what you're going to do. Because even when you do get there and you know what you're going to do, it's still hard to say no or to turn it off. Or to not look over your mate's shoulder while he's watching it on his iPad at school. Make sure that you've got accountability partnerships in your life, friends. Make sure that you've got friends. Not friends that are going to be there for the good times, but friends that can talk to you. Friends that you can be accountable to and say, hey guys, I'm struggling here. Actually, I shouldn't be. Friends that will, when they see that you're struggling or see that, because uh, your friends know, that they will call you to account for that thing and say, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. How can I help you to not do that? You've got to have a deep conviction to pursue holiness because it's what God designs us for, to be like Him. Simple things. The second route is the addicted brain. The addicted brain. People's brains are changed by porn. Your neural pathways are changed. And so what happens, even when you want to, you can't, because it's an addiction now. And once it becomes an addiction, it's very difficult to change an addiction. You've got to go through detox to change it. You've got to rewire, your, your brain's got to rewire itself not to go there, and not to want that. The wonderful thing is this, is that your brain is plastic and elastic enough to be able to do that, so you can. Repetition gets you locked in. Repetition is going to get you locked out. Repetition, going there all the time, gets you locked in. Rep repetitively saying no and saying the boundaries will eventually take you out. But it's hard work. That's why you need friends. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to help you. 
the last friends around us is that when, watch, when someone watches porn, it doesn't really affect them. I've told you that it does. The lie is that true freedom is not possible. It's not possible. It's not possible that you can be free. And that it causes something unfixable. You can be free. It is difficult. Nobody's going to lie about that, but you can be free. Transformation and freedom are possible through the renewing of your mind, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says. By the renewing of their mind. That's, we've got to change, ask God to renew our mind, our thinking, but also our brain chemistry. Just like any other addiction applies. Root number three. This is huge. Isolation. Isolation. You know they say addiction, the greatest antidote to addiction is friendship, community. Have you seen those studies? There's studies around that. That actually what you do if you want to get over any kind of addiction is to get into community and friendships, not be isolated. It's part of the treatment of any addiction is community. And what happens with pornography, it causes you to isolate yourself because of shame. Isolate you from God, isolate you from one another. And then as soon as you feel disconnected from others, it makes you susceptible to fake intimacy, which is porn. You crave intimacy, you're designed to be relational, you're designed to be intimate. As we were talking about singleness, you're designed to be intimate. If you're not married, you have an intimacy of friendship. If you are married, you can have physical intimacy, spiritual intimacy, all these things. That's, that's what marriage is. When one day, when we get to heaven, there's no marriage, it says, the Bible says. But we'll be intimate without being sexually nuanced. And so the lie is when you're in porn is that you've got to pull back from relationships. And then people believe they can't be honest because if people really knew, then they wouldn't accept them. That is the condemnation of the enemy. And then they think, no, I can do this on my own. I want to tell you, you can't do this on your own. No addiction you get over on your own. Nothing. Remember, this is an addiction, not a habit. We downscale it in our minds when you think it's just a bad habit. So what are the steps that you need to take to get past this route of isolation? Establish authentic friendships. And when you get triggered and you want to do these things, and the, slow, the next point is you're going to start to learn what does trigger you. Push into friendships, don't pull away from them. When you're in the moment, phone your mate and say, listen, I'm having a tough time, please help me. Just so you know. I had many phone calls like that with, with guys. Pursue a deeper relationship with God. Don't let it push you away from God. Let it push you into God and say, God, I need you ever more now, right now. The root of isolation. Number four, negative emotions. Emotions. 
the reason why you go to porn is that you've got emotional triggers. You want to, you know, I don't understand about that, what I mean by that. You, there's moments, the reason why you go to it, because this thing thinks it's going to gonna satisfy something in you that you need now. And many of those things are emotional in nature. Way less than physical. We just say, well, I just need a release because actually I'm a man and I get semen build up. No, it's emotional. It's not, it's not physical. There's a way that God releases things physically if you need to, need to have that. Naturally. And when you have a growing sense of awareness of like what triggers me. I, I used to, there used to be a guy in this church and he had a porn addiction. And before he was married even, he actually ended up getting married to the girl that he was going out with and they're actually divorced now. No wonder he had a porn addiction. And I used to realize whenever he fought with her or whenever there was conflict in the relationship, he'd be on porn. So I realized actually what porn is, it's a pick-me-up. It's a, it's a thing that makes me feel better about myself. We, we, well, it promises to, but it actually doesn't. It takes you, makes you feel worse about yourself. And so you've got you've to start to become self-aware. What is it that makes me do that? So that when that happens, you know what you're going to do. You're not going to rush there. The lie is that you just need to suppress your feelings. You can't suppress those feelings. You've got to re recognize those feelings and put the truth of God back into those feelings so that you don't go to the wrong place. You invite God into that moment. Invite the Holy Spirit into that moment. Invite your friends into that moment. And say, please help me, I'm battling here. Whatever that might be. It might be an issue at work. Where you have, if you have a tough day or you have, you've got a tough boss and when you get home, actually I go to porn. Might be in our, it's often in our relationships. Any, any, any trigger, you've got to know what the, you've got to ask God, Lord, what is it that gets me here? And which means the way you practically get out of that is you talk to your mates about those triggers. You say, listen, I need to talk. Paul, you're my friend. I'm trying to think of a scenario. This is my girlfriend. Every time... Every time we have a fight, I, I, please can you help me? Actually, maybe the answer is, well, listen, it's a problem with you, not a problem with her. Just remember. But you, but you talk about that. You share that. Because shame cannot stand being shared. For shame to exist, three things I said this morning. Silence, secrecy, and judgment. When you live in an atmosphere of silence, secrecy, and judgment, shame stays on you. And when you are shame, you, shameful, you are powerless. Powerful people are shame-free. Number five, shame. Deep sense of unworthiness. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not good-looking enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I'm not enough. That's what shame says. And it's this vicious cycle because shame takes you there and then 
It promises to pick you up and then boom, more shame. And then there's these cycles of shame and shame and you get further and further and further down. The lie is that you're worthless. You've got to fix that in your heart, in your, in your identity. Listen, we've got half an hour. This is a big subject. Just giving us a couple of things. Your addiction is not who you are. Your unworthiness is not who you are. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. And when you think you are a mistake, shame comes on you, and now you've got to prove that you're not. And you've got to feel like you're not. And so you, get the do- you choose the dopamine rush of porn and masturbation. And it does nothing for you. Got to learn how to live an identity with Christ. Learn to meditate on who you are in Christ. For these young guys who are all mates, Cam, Ryan, Zach, Kirk, I'm serious. You guys hold each other to account. You tell each other who who you are in Christ. It's not like uncool to do that. You don't have to do it in front of the whole school. But when you're at break, you flip and call each other out. You don't mess around with this stuff. Beware of negative self-talk, all those sorts of things. Number six, trauma. Trauma actually causes shame. It's kind of connected. And sometimes there are traumatic events that happen in our lives that fuel negative emotions where you are feel compelled to medicate. Some people medicate with more relationships, just one relationship after the other, never satisfied. Other people medicate with alcohol. Other people medicate with cocaine. And other people medicate with pornography. It's the same idea, same addiction. And when we begin to self-medicate like that, it puts more shame on us and we get more addicted than ever before. Those things that happen to, to our lives, I said this morning about a, a young boy of five years old who was molested as a young boy of five. And this week, for the first time, he sat in my office and he said, this is what happened to me. And he absolutely cried with tears. A very big man, a very generous man, a big-hearted man. But actually inside of him was a five-year-old boy that had been molested with shame on his life. And this big heart that God gives, gave him Every time he was generous, actually there was something of a hook in there because it was about him trying to prove how generous he was. Try to prove yourself that you're not this shameless, shameful, little weak boy. And when you recognize that and you realize this is a problem, Jesus, that's not how you've made me. You gave me a big heart to be generous for your sake, not for my sake. You've done these things. Actually, it's not about me. You start to move in love, not in selfishness.
if you've had traumatic events in your life, guys, you've got to share them. You've got to share them. Break the silence. Break the silence, the, 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 the secrecy. And break the judgment. And do that in a, in a group of friends where there's grace, not disgrace. Do it in a group of friends where you can talk honestly and share openly. So often in these moments, I said it this morning, there was such a presence of God there in the worship and such a presence of God there as we were talking about these things. And so often what you want to do is you want to just get people up. And the reality is if I'd have called people up, half the church would have come up this morning. But I can tell you now, everybody's waiting for a touch from God to get free of this thing. Because then it's easy. But addictions are not broken. They are broken by a touch from God. Small percentages. But most of the time, you learn to be addicted to Him, not to this thing. And it's a process of moving your affections of your heart, displacing the affections of your heart towards this thing so that Jesus becomes the affection of your heart. But that comes in community. It comes through confession. It comes through being vulnerable. And for men, being vulnerable is difficult because we see, men see that as weakness. But actually, it's the greatest courage you can do, you can have. So sit, that's why we do our groups. That's why we do men's groups. So that we can talk about these things and share our traumas and share our things so that God can set us free. It's a process of being set free that you begin in God. When there's a revelation, ah, that thing, that thing. When you're telling your story and suddenly you get to this point in your life and all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, this is the thing. Should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I say it? I've never told anybody this. That's the thing you need to share. That's the thing you need to share. Get the skeletons out of your closet so you can be free. That you're not open to this addiction thing called pornography. Do you have any questions? And then I want to pray for you. Go for it. so strange it's just I've never been a porn guy I don't know how I should be with what I've done and seen and but I know the wrestle of my own ass Proverbs chapter 5 says this the breasts of the wife of your youth will satisfy you always. You know, you and your wife get older. She doesn't look like what she looked like when you met her and married her. The Bible says, in true oneness, you're always satisfied by the breasts of your wife, of your youth. Not by the breasts of a porn star. Questions? So there's two questions here that are kind of linked. But um, 
the first one is how important is the confession? And the second one that links is should I tell my parents? And how, sh- how do I do this? The confession is incredibly important. In fact, without it, you will not get free. This is what the Bible says, the book of James, when he talks about confession. Actually, I'm going to go, I actually had this in my notes, and I just didn't go there. Just didn't have time. James chapter 5, verse 16, says this. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I think there's a place where your sin is causing physical sickness, not just emotional sickness. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So he's basically saying, it doesn't matter who you, who get, who you get to pray for you, because the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Like Elijah, he goes on to say. Elijah said, stop the rain, the rain stopped. So the key to that is confession. Key to that is being truthful. It's getting onto this, seeing this thing. To confess means to see this thing the same way God sees it. That's what that word confession actually means. 1 John 1 verse 6 says this, If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It builds relationships. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So when we walk in the light, we, we bring it into the open. We, we create friendships but we also get purified from all our sin. That's what it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise of God. Confession is absolutely key. Second question is, should you tell your parents? And how? I think you should tell your parents. Because the parents, your parents are the ones that are going to help you the most, that love you the most right now. You know, you know, the peop- you know how you know the people you should tell. It's the ones you don't want to tell. It's easy to tell your brother, it's difficult to tell your father. Why? Because the Father's got authority. So when you confess your sins to somebody in authority, it releases something over you. Your parents love you. Maybe your dad battled with exactly the same thing and he knows exactly how to help you. Parents love you. I would tell my parents. I must be honest, when I was that your age, for now, I would have told my parents. They were like on a different planet. I'm like, what? Although we didn't get up to all this stuff. So it's very difficult to. But I also wasn't a believer like I am now. I didn't believe what I believe now. 
and my parents weren't. So it was, it was different. You know better. You know better now. Tell your parents. Experience, have you got anything to say to add to that? Yeah. Listen, if you're 30, parents probably not the first person to tell, unless you're still a wuss and still staying at home. <laughs> Can I just say? When you're 30, you're meant to be on your own. <laughs> it's like, just, just so you know. You're man now. Means you leave your mother and father's house. But obviously, as you get older, you've got friendship circles that are tighter and, and closer that you talk to. You know? And obviously, you students, you're staying at home. It, it changes. Your relationship with your parents changes as you get older. But if you're at school, I'd tell your parents. If you're outside of school, I would, I would probably get together when I'm a bit older, maybe in your later teens, I'd be telling my friends, I'd be getting hold of my friends, and then I'd be maybe going and saying to my, telling your parents, you know what, I've got a problem, I've spoken to this person, that person, and this person, I just want to let you know that I'm dealing with this. Thank you for the values you put in me. See, it's different, it's different, it's different as you get older, so there's not kind of one size fits all in all these things, you know. Yeah. I also wanted to add to that, um, so I've struggled with some of that stuff and um, the biggest lie just around confession the biggest lie that one of the biggest lies that the enemy has is that people won't respond in love when you confess the biggest lie and that is part of what holds you hold it back and you're like oh well, sheesh, what are they going to think reputation, all of these things. Every single person, I mean, I know at the time, the first person I chatted to was my dad. And after that, I did I group and those sorts of things. I also chatted with people and love, love, love. Every single time. You think they're going to go, oh, like they're going to smack you on their hand or whatever they're going to do. Absolute lie. Do not partner with fear there on that lie. Put that fear under your heel. This is something you don't want to mess around with. Any other, any other from the group or any other just from the floor? If you haven't, uh, if you want a question or a... Got a question? I mean, Brandon's got a story around pornography, eh? So, I mean, you could, yeah? How do you get out of a porn addiction whilst being in a relationship? A marriage relationship or a... I think any, any relationship, relationship, dating, marriage. Shame. The reason, the reason why you... It's shame. Shame cannot share, stand being shared tell you again shame exists in silence secrecy and judgment those are the conditions for shame to exist for shame to be dispelled confess talk bring it to the light in a community of people in an atmosphere of grace so it doesn't matter whether you're in a relationship or not you need to speak about this 
if I was in a relationship, if I was in a, in a um, I was going out with somebody, what I would do is I'd be getting together with my brothers and dealing with it. And then going to my girlfriend or my, and then saying, this is what I'm dealing with. Because let me tell you right now, when a wife or a girlfriend knows that you're addicted to porn, instantly shame comes on them because they think they're not good enough. They don't look good enough. They aren't good enough. And one of the, one of the areas that women deal with in terms of shame is comparison. So instantly it makes them feel shamed. They, it's you, but they feel it. So there's got to, you've got to kind of think through what does that mean, how does that look? So I would be dealing it with my brothers. And at least when you go to her and you say, you know what, I've got a problem, she knows you're dealing with it. And you know it's a problem. And you know it's a problem. Because then that's another layer of accountability that you have. If you're married, big trouble in marriage, friends, porn. Again, shame comes onto the wife. She thinks she's not good enough. She's not what she used to look like when she got married. And so there's this, but you've got to start dealing with it. You've got to, in all of these situations, I'd, I'd be confessing it and then taking it to my wife and then taking it to my, so that at least they know that you're dealing with this thing and that she can phone any one of those friends and you can say, these are the people I've spoken to. Phone them and talk to them. Instantly it sets that whole thing back on track. There's no guarantees that you're not going to ever do it again. No guarantees. But again, then she can help you with that process. I think that does that answer the question. Um, the next question is, what are practical steps to put in place to live free, specifically in relation to smartphone usage, and the world of social media? Well, the obvious thing is to put restrictions on your phone. I tell you what, must I tell you the most dangerous time is late at night. But don't put your phone next to your bed. Put your phone charging somewhere else. Um, there's, the obvious, there's the obvious kind of practical things that you can do. Put, put age restrictions on your things and all those things. But again... I think the greatest thing that you can do is to be open with friends and relationships. Because all those things are practical things, but you know what? You know a way that you can get around them. <laughs> like you can, you can always find a way, you know? And then, oh, it was just a slip or just a this. But actually, friendships, I think, relationships are the key to that. And you can put all those filters and you can put all those things on your phone. And obviously, just, you've got to change your routines. You've got to change your habits. If you want to change an addiction, you need to change your habits. What you do regularly, you've got to change those things so that you don't fall into the trap of walking into the addiction. Yeah. Vince, you've got some advice. I know you've got some. You've got some. Yeah, I've got some. <laughs> um, a very useful thing to do is put your computer in a public place. You know, have the monitor so that anyone walking by at any moment can look at it and see what's on that screen. It really does help. And also, when you're using your phone, use it where there are people around. It really is helpful to do that. 
And have your wife available, have your phone available to your wife to check your history? I know you can clear your history, but anybody, Heather answers flipping messages and I missed the message because she's looked at it before. <laughs> Drives me nuts. But, but the point is, the point is, can look at my phone anytime, anytime. Doesn't worry me at all. Those are all the kinds of things. I know, Brandon, if you had a, any comments around these things, I mean, you were, you said you had a, let me just. Any tips or, yeah. I, I walked through a journey through, through pornography, and it, 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 for mine was stemming on a lot of, from trauma and stuff, and also being abused from being very small and stuff. But I want to say that they, what I, the biggest thing that I struggled was, could I be free? And th there was a moment in my life where I just felt God say to me, Brennan, if I'm calling you to be out of this, don't you think you can be completely free from this? And I would like to suggest the idea that you can be completely free from it if you are stuck in it. Completely. Yeah, there'll be hints where this familiar thing will come at you at times. But there is, as, as, you, as Stan said, as you practice this habit of saying no, 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 it becomes less of a, an issue. I mean, I, it's like breaking any addiction. I mean, there's something as small as smoking. You know? The more you say no, it just takes time to, for, your, for your brain to create new neural pathways. So I, I would like to, uh, yeah, I want to suggest that thing of you can be totally, totally free. Allow that idea to take root. Because once you partner with that idea, that's, it's, it's, I remember somebody saying once, if you can see something, you can have it. If you can see that you can be completely free, that it doesn't need to have any lure on you. You know, <laughs> sorry, Stan, I, I, I had this one, I listened to this preach many years, many years ago. This one guy stood up and said, do you think Adam walked around in the garden with a, <laughs> with a heart on? And he's like, what am I going to do with this thing? No. <laughs> in God. That's why for me personally, I've had encounters with God that I tell you pornography cannot bring to you, cannot satisfy that space. But it's the heart. It's good for the heart to be taught by the grace of God. There's something about when you're walking with God and you're seeking His face every day in your life. You're training yourself to be satisfied in Him that there's moments that he meets with you that surpasses that. And it gives you, there's a reason where the, the scriptures say, come and taste and see that the, God, that the Lord is good. You can taste and see. It's not just an idea. There's an encounter with God in your personal walk. I'm not talking about in an encounter you can be set free completely. And they, like Stan said, you can be. But there's something about, 
I think personally for me in my journey in worship and encountering God has been for my personal healing. It's been for my personal healing. As much as this, I see God move through what I do and what he's called me into, it's actually been for me. And there's something about when a man chases after the face of God that he starts meeting you in those spaces. That's why I'm not afraid of when, when I see men beginning to shake under the power of God or beginning to encounter God in ways because it's meant to be that way. And we shouldn't be afraid of that because that's the addiction that we should be after is to encounter his face. Does it make sense? Cool. I don't know if I said it earlier, but just please do remember, we've finished now at 7 o'clock. Please do remember, if you take a porn addiction into marriage, just because you're having sex doesn't take your porn addiction away. Don't think getting married, all I've got to do is just get married and then I won't have these. The reason why you've got an addiction is not your physical urges, it's your emotional condition, your shame that you've got to deal with. When you take it into marriage, your wife now shares in that shame. Not healthy at all. You've got to, particularly in a relationship, you need to deal with this for the sake of the other person. So I um, hope all that's been useful. Josh, anything else? What you, yeah, yeah, sure. Just one, I don't know, maybe for the, my, my age sort of bracket and, and younger where social media is, is everything, like more so than it's ever been. And Stan, you spoke about being radical and like I can't stress that enough. Like there, there is an element of it that requires radical, radical action. And so social, you might not be watching porn on social media, but if you're a guy, you cannot tell me that you don't get the adverts and the spam messages and you go on your For You page and it's girls in bikinis and that just is a one-way ticket to their page, to the link on their page, which is to all of their sites, to OnlyFans, Pornhub, all of that stuff. And it's like, okay, great, I'm connecting with my friends, I'm having, an, uh, you know, there, there are benefits of social media, but at what expense? And so my personal story, and, and you have to sort of ask yourself that, is like, are you willing to be a bit radical for a lifetime of freedom? And, and so, and with that said, like I just decided to actually Instagram, because we're so visual, it was just, it just wasn't helpful. It wasn't porn, but it, it just led down avenues that led to unhelpful stuff. And part of that like rewiring of the brain, it's like, there is a practical element of it, of like, yo, actually Instagram wasn't helpful. Got, like, got rid of it and deleted the app cool, there's still the website you go on. So deleting the app didn't, didn't do it for me. So I actually had to go and like delete my account so that I couldn't go onto it because it, and, and like you said, there'll always be other avenues to go down. That's just how our brains work. Um, and so w with that, it's got to be, what are you replacing it with? And renewing your mind. And, and so you can't just get rid of social media and internet because that's the world we live in. Um, because there will always be something else. But you, yeah, you have to be so radical and, and make tough calls that um, ultimately will let you live in freedom. I hope that Wonderful. Makes Brilliant, Josh.
Bible says if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eyes cause you to sin, gouge it out. That's how radical it is. Not, don't play. Too much at stake. Father, I pray that you would help us as men. I pray that you would come with us. I pray that you would give us courage to talk to the right people, to bring things into the open and help us to deal with these addictions so that we can be free and that we can be a blessing to our friends, be a blessing to our wives and our girlfriends and be a blessing to them, not learn to love them, not use them, see their bodies as a gift to us, not a tool for us to use. And we just thank you for that in your amazing name. I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray you give us revelation about these things. Help us to be radical with these things in your amazing, amazing name. Amen. Bless you guys.